for those of you I've not met yet, my name is Dan. Um, and today what we're going to be doing for the last little chunk of time together is starting to unpack our theme for this year, which as has been spoken about is Lighthouse. Um, and the way that we're going to think about it um, is using um, this sense or this word or this analogy or this occurrence of God being our lighthouse as an anchor for how it is we perceive what it is God is doing in this world and how it is he is using his church, what it is he's saying to us and what all of that means. We're going to reflect on our purpose, our mission and identity as a community. The questions um, that we're hoping might come up, or at least the buttons that we're hoping that we'll push, are around these questions. What does it look like for God to breathe light and life into the dark places and the places that are going dim? What does it look like for our community to actually burn bright? And what does it look like for our own lives to burn bright. There might be some of us here, you might have this sense that within you there was a phase where you might describe your life as um, burning bright, that you had a keen sense of what it is God was doing in you and through you, but that has perhaps started to dim over time. It's our prayer that God might speak into that space for you and speak words of life into you. But in order to do any of this well, we first need to understand um, what it means when Scripture talks about God being light. As you might suspect, rather than being some superficial phrase which talks to our sense of um, self-worth and identity and all those things are very, very good things. But when the scriptures talk about God being light, they speak about it with a depth. They talk about light in the sense of light overcoming darkness. It's a light that has power. It's a light that has opposition. It's a light that achieves something far more significant than we can fully comprehend. We only glimpse its significance and yet it brings us into new life. A few weeks ago, um, Ainsley was setting us up for this series, um, and she shared from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This passage goes on to describe that the light has come into what we know and experience to be darkness. Into the creation that he himself created in order to bear the light that was always intended to be. And the darkness has not overwhelmed the light. There's been a rejection 
of the light himself. Yet the light still enters and endures so that we might know life and that we might know that it only comes from the light. And so it's in this space that we pause today and we ask God to reveal more of the knowledge of this reality because it speaks to the gravity of the reality of this light. You see, the way that God's light overcomes darkness is punctuated and fulfilled by Jesus stepping into the world, but it's emphatically demonstrated by God's persistent engagement and grace from humanity over the course of history. He's the one who has never let go, not in the beginning, not throughout his covenant with Israel, not after the resurrection, not today. And based upon all of this, we can confidently assert not tomorrow. The darkness has not overcome the light because the light is ever present. What I'm hoping we might be able to do just in this next little while is track a little bit of the, the story of the light prevailing in darkness. We're going to read a whole bunch of scripture together and I encourage you, I can send you everything that I'm using um, after this. Just ask me and I'll click it all through. But I encourage you just to sit with the story and to allow the gravity of this persistent light to sit with you and on you. We all know how the story starts. In the beginning, God created life and it was good. He created humanity with a purpose. And that purpose was to have real connection with God, with each other and with creation. In the opening chapters of Genesis, they go on to demonstrate that we fundamentally rejected God's authority in that space. And when I say in that space, I mean in life. We embraced another way. And yet it's precisely in this moment that we start to get glimpses of the nature of the enduring light that God is. Genesis 3, 21 to 24 says this. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, what we gravitate towards in those moments is the... Um, the reality of judgment and disconnection and what we can gloss over is God's grace his love and his mercy you see as um, Adam and Eve reject the kingship of God the one who has ushered them into life rather than ceasing with this life experiment what he does yes there is that disconnection, but during the process, he clothes them. He sends them out caring for them. The fact that the story keeps going is a testament to the enduring 
grace of this light in the darkness. From here, God gets about his redemptive mission. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. You see, rather than stopping the story, God picks up the story with Abram becomes Abraham and he sets forth a vision for Abraham and the community that will come from him that this people this nation that would come from him would be the people who partner with God would be the nation who represents God's light in this world there would be a light to the nations God hasn't stopped the story in fact he has swept humanity back into his story and he has purposed his people. This is good news. We're up and running. Until about Exodus chapter 1, where it looks like this light may be snuffed out. Exodus 6 to 6, well, chapter 1, 6 to 16. Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation, but the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. What it goes on to describe is at that point, that nation is oppressed and essentially taken captive by Egypt. This people with a purpose, it looks like they are now chained back in darkness. But the story does not stop there. And people with a purpose are enslaved, yet the light endures. Exodus 3, 6 to 12. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I'll send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And we know how the story goes. God, through a series of, well, incredible circumstances, delivers the people out of bondage. And indeed, they worship God on that mountain. The light endures. Now, after God delivers the people with a purpose, he goes on to establish a covenant, uh, a framework for relationship with them. The covenant describes what it looks like to be the nation that has submitted to the kingship of the one and only God. What it looks like to be a light amongst the nations. 
one aspect of this. You can see in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 to 11. See, just as the Lord my God has charged me, I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently. For this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other statute and ordinances are as just as the entire law that I am setting before you today? God sets them up with their identity and their purpose and the story endures. Yet, we rock up at the book of Judges. And I promise you, we're sort of tailing towards the end. And we go, oh my gosh, we got to keep going. Sort of. Judges 2. Um, in fact, if you get an opportunity, read all of Judges. A lot of it's quite similar in the sense of there is this cycle that is happening in the nation. You see, they follow God obediently for a time. But most of the time, actually, they decide they might be like the other nations around them, building their own kingdoms, not following the covenant that was before them. But what we see in Judges is this cycle of this categorical rejection of the kingship of God over their lives, yet God continually delivers them from the mess that they get themselves into as, as a result of their disobedience. God brings forth these judges that deliver the people from all sorts of stuff, um, mainly oppression and attack and captivity. And then they move back into a time of, isn't it wonderful that we have a God amongst us? And then they slip out of it again into, you know what? We prefer to be doing these other things. And then this cycle continues. Now, rather than perceive the situation for what it is, actually we are the covenant people, the people that need to submit to the kingship of our God, they decide on another way altogether. Samuel 8, 4 to 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us um, a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Yet in the midst of this fundamental rejection, what we see is God working within the parameters of their rebellion to bring about redemption, to keep the light going. This idea of kingship was an affront because God was their king, yet God uses this kingship to bring about the line of King David. And it's through the line of King David that God is going to continue to do some seriously cool things. I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house when your days are fulfilled to go to be with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring after you 
one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. This is God talking to David. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. This is a really big deal given the length of time that they continue to be in their cycle of not following the light but embracing another way, not following the way of Yahweh but following the way of the nations. We see David continually succumbing to the trappings of power and the temptation to build his own name. Israel continues to reject their calling to be a light to the nations. Time and time again, God could rightfully have called stumps, but that is not what we see in our God. It's what we have never seen. Throughout the, the rest of the history of um, the Old Testament, you see the cycle continue to be played out, but you see God speaking to what he will ultimately do through his prophets. Um, I've got a passage here from Jeremiah. I might flick it to you in this week's email so you can read over it there. But God talks about this everlasting covenant that he will establish in his people. He will provide the new heart that they obviously are unable to have themselves. He will provide the way forward for them. God anchors his light in the darkness and declares, I will do it. I will raise up the one who will fulfill all that Israel was to fulfill. I will raise up the one who will stand before me on behalf of humanity and the one who will lead as king. I will do it. And all of this builds back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. And God dwelt among us. Rather than the light receding, the light steps in. The light goes on to bear our darkness, John 19. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The light goes on to defeat the darkness. And we see the living Jesus standing face to face with his disciples. It's true. What he said he would do, he did it. God's persistent grace and mercy over the course of human history has resulted in God reestablishing for himself a people with a purpose. You know where this is going, yes? He's enabled that by fulfilling what we as uh, humanity could never fulfill. And in doing so, he has breathed life and light into the world. In Jesus, we have become 
the new people of the new covenant who stand before him as a holy people so that we might declare his marvelous deeds. 1 Peter 2, 9-10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friends, in 20 minutes, it's not possible to even give a glimpse of the weight of the glory that is God's persistent grace amongst us. So together what we need to do as a community is continue to look back at these anchor points that God has displayed throughout history. He has never given up. He will never give up and in fact he embraces us in his purposes of being a light in the darkness. We as the church partner with God, discerning what it is he is doing in this world, and we ask God, how is it that you would like to use us as we follow you, as we worship you as our king? Can I pray for us? Is that okay? And so, Lord, we celebrate you. We thank you and we recognize you as the light in our world. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your victory. We worship your holy name. Amen.